You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I want you again this evening, I'll not ask you to stand to your feet for we'll read several different scripture texts. If you've been here the last two Wednesday nights, you probably have them marked. It'll be in John chapter number 10, Hebrews chapter number 13, and 1 Peter chapter number 5. John chapter 10, Hebrews 13, and 1 Peter 5 will be our scripture text where we'll take our uh, thought from this evening. John chapter 10 and verse number 11, Jesus speaking, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Then over in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 13 and verse number 20 wrote, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then in the book of 1 Peter, chapter number 5, and verse number 4, Peter says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Once again this evening, we look to the scriptures and we allow them to direct our attention once more to the work of the shepherdhood of Jesus Christ. Each of the verses that we have read reference some aspect of this ministry. In John chapter 10 and verse number 11, Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. In Hebrews chapter number 13, the writer refers to Jesus as the great shepherd. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter speaks of the coming Lord Jesus Christ as the chief shepherd. And we have discovered that these three descriptions of Christ as the good, the great, and the chief shepherd in the New Testament are presented to us in the Old Testament in a trilogy of Psalms. In Psalm 22, we see grace as the good shepherd is crucified for us. In Psalm 23, we find guidance as the great shepherd comforts and conducts us along the pathway of life. And now tonight in Psalm 24, we will see glory as the chief shepherd comes for us and prepares to set up his kingdom. Psalm 22 is the foundation. If you've never been to the cross, you cannot know the joy of Psalm 23, nor the, have the hope of Psalm 24. It begins in Psalm 22. That is the foundation. Psalm 23 is the manifestation, and Psalm 24 is the expectation. We've looked these past weeks at Psalm 22, the Psalm of the Crucified Savior. Last week we considered Psalm 23, the Psalm of the Comforting Shepherd. 
And now tonight we're going to examine Psalm 24, the Psalm of the Coming Sovereign. Marvelous message we bring. Glorious carol we sing. Wonderful word of the King. Jesus is coming again. You say, preacher, it looks dark. Well, don't look around, but just look up. It's always the darkest just before the dawn. And one of these days, the son of righteousness is going to rise and will enter a brand new day. And that is the message of this psalm. Now, let's very quickly try to get through this psalm. Brother Martinez told me he wanted to sign my Bible and he wanted to put his verse. He said it was Zedekiah 4.2. Blessed is he who is short when he preaches, for he shall be asked to speak again. Now, I, I, I'm looking and I haven't found that, so if someone can point me in that direction, uh, maybe it's in Brother Cooper's Bible, but I'll find it and I'll, I'll get some help. But let's look at this psalm very quickly and see what we can learn. Notice, first of all, this psalm begins with a claim. Verse number one, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. It begins with a claim regarding the material glory of his creation. Notice the realm that is spoken about. It includes the physical world. The earth is the Lord's. This globe that is 25,000 miles in circumference, 8,000 miles in diameter, weighing 6.5 sextillion tons approximately. You say, how many is that? That's a million trillion. And that's more than all of us put together. That's a lot of weight. The world weighs 6.5 sextillion tons. Three quarters of the world is made up of water. The mountains, the valleys, the rivers, the lakes, the oceans, the plains and the deserts. Could I just say it all belongs to God, this physical world. Not only the physical world, but the possessions of the world. He said, and the fullness thereof. That means not just this world, but everything in it. The gold, the silver, the coal, the oil, the diamonds, the rubies, the iron, the nickel, the gas, the animals, the plants. It all belongs to him. And if that were not enough, he goes on to say, and they that dwell therein. The people of the world belong to him. All of the descendants of Adam and Eve, the rich and the poor, the old and the young, the male and the female from every race and every region, they all belong to God. You say, how can that be? Well, verse number two gives us the reason. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Paul will tell us in Colossians chapter one, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. The Bible begins with a simple statement, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. John said in John chapter one, that all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Could I just say this evening that the devil is a squatter? 
He is inhabiting a place where he has no right to be. But I want to tell you, I've got good news. His days are numbered. For the rightful owner has served an eviction notice. And the process is at work for Satan to be removed and the one whose possession it is to take up resident, uh, residence on this planet once again. So this psalm begins with a claim. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and they that dwell therein. Now, we have to understand where this psalm is focusing on. This psalm is talking about the millennial kingdom, the ushering in of the millennial kingdom era. And here is the question. Now, the Lord is going to return. He is coming back. We have the promises in his word, and we'll talk about those in a few minutes. But this is a millennial psalm. The rightful king is ready to take up his place. He has done away with the squatter. In fact, when this question is asked, the squatter is bound in a chain in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. But here's the question. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? Now this is very important for us to know. This is a Jewish psalm. It is a millennial psalm. It is a messianic psalm. And so the question, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, is really a question of who shall go up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is known as the city of David. It is the citadel. It is Mount Zion. And really God has ordained that Jerusalem be the center of all secular power in the earth. The Jews forfeited their right to have that. And now, in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, world power, secular power, was turned over into the hands of the Gentiles, and there it has remained. Oh, but once again, the rightful owner is coming to take up his place. And the question is, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who is going to go up to Jerusalem and take up the mantle of secular power? And then there's another question, or who shall stand in his holy place? Now, the holy place is referring to Mount Moriah. That is the place, the mountain of Abraham's sacrifice. It is the very heart of the temple itself. Now, here is what the psalmist is asking the question. If the devil is going to be kicked out, if secular power is going to be taken away from him, and Mount Moriah pictures spiritual power, who is going to take up this power who's going to mount up? And so we come to the criteria. This is reflecting the moral glory of his character. Notice the question, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? And by the way, I've got good news for you. I read about him in Matthew chapter 28. These are the words he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. You say, who's going to mount up to the holy place and take the spiritual power? It's he unto whom all power has been given. Who's going to mount up to the heel of the Lord and take up secular power? He into whom hand all power has been committed. It is none other than Jesus Christ, the returning King of kings and Lord of lords. 
But now here comes the question, who is going to go with him? Who will join him as he takes up secular and spiritual power to govern the world for a thousand years? Now here's the answer. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. The first requirement is a life that is unblemished. Outwardly, clean hands. Inwardly, a pure heart. Not only he who has a life unblemished, but one whose longings are undefiled, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity. That is, not one who longs after the vanities of this world. He has not set his affection on the things of this world, but he has set his affection on things above. And then the third qualification, one whose lips are unerring, nor sworn deceitfully. Could I just stop and say right here, that lets me out. I can't say that I've always had clean hands and a pure heart. I can't say that my soul has never been lifted up unto vanity. I can't say that my lips have never sworn deceitfully. Oh, I want to see him rise up and take power. But I want to be with him. But according to the criteria, I'm not qualified. Oh, but I'm glad the psalm doesn't end right there. That'd be a sad psalm, wouldn't it? Oh, but it goes on. In fact, he gives us the key. He gives us the key to meeting this criteria. In verses 5 and 6, in fact, it would probably help us, it would be clearer to us, if we would actually read verses 5 and 6 in the opposite order to help our Western mind understand what is being said in this Eastern culture. Notice what he says. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, or O God of Jacob. What is this generation that seek him, that seek his face? Verse number five, he, that generation shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. You see, God's impossible requirements in verse number four are really God's gracious gifts in verse number five. What we could not provide on our own back in Psalm 22 at Calvary, Jesus provided for us and he will give us his righteousness and he hath clean hands and he hath a pure heart and he has not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully and because I'm clothed in the robe of his righteousness, I can go in and be a part of the kingdom. Oh, hallelujah, aren't you glad? That when we're hid in Christ, we can become what we really are not in Him. Well, there's the claim. There's the criteria. But now notice the confirmation. Really, Psalm 24 was a part of the Psalms which were regularly sung as a part of worship at the temple. 
The temple choir would gather every day and they had certain songs that they would sing on certain occasions and, and there were certain psalms that were sung every day. Every Monday, the temple choir would sing Psalm 48. Every Tuesday, they would sing Psalm 82. Every Wednesday, they sang as a part of their worship, Psalm 94. Every Thursday, they sang Psalm 81. Every Friday, it was Psalm 93. Every Saturday, it was Psalm 92. But every Sunday, as a part of their worship, they sung Psalm 24. Now you say, what, what's important about that? Well, just think about what Sunday is. On Resurrection Day, when the temple choir gathered and opened their folders to sing, they found in their folder Psalm 24 on the schedule. You say, what did it say? Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. This Sunday psalm foreshadowed a resurrected Savior. For some 33 plus years, the Lord had laid aside his glory, he had wrapped himself in a robe of flesh and walked among men. On his journey, he had won victory after victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. For example, after being weakened by a 40-day fast, he had been tempted by Satan. Those three great temptations, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life had all been rejected by the sinless one. He had been tempted to reject the cup of suffering in the garden of Gethsemane. He had been enticed to come down from the cross and save himself. He had been embraced by the cold hands of death and sealed in a guarded tomb. Oh, but it was all in vain. As John Phillips said, never once in thought or deed as a babe or as a child, a teen or a man, in the home or in the classroom, in the synagogue or at the workbench, not once did Satan ever win the slightest victory. And then to crown all other triumphs, he rose in victory from the tomb. For 40 days he came and went, appearing here and there. Then he gathered his little band of disciples. He marched with them through, out through the city gates, <coughs> down across the Kidron, up past Gethsemane and on up to the brow of the Mount of Olives. And standing there, he lifted his hands in parting benediction and he rose majestically to the heavens. The stunned disciples stood watching as a cloud swept him up and hid him from their view. The disciples saw him go into the cloud, but they did not see what happened after that. All but David, writing a thousand years before, saw what happened when the cloud received him out of their sight. 
The resurrected Savior mounted the star road to the gate of that celestial city in the glory world. And he demanded an entrance into heaven. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. That demand was challenged by the heavenly sentinel as he had responded back, Who is this King of glory? With uplifted hands attesting to the fierceness of that most recent conflict, the nail prints in his hands, with the silent witness of the keys of death and hell hanging from his belt, that one who had conquered victory and had victory over death and hell and the grave cried out, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, and the gates of that city swung open, and he went to take his place at the right hand of the Father, where he ever lives to make intercession for us. Oh, that that psalm that was sung on Resurrection Day held a foreshadowing of a resurrected Savior. But could I say this Sunday psalm not only foreshadowed a resurrected Savior, but it also foresaw a rescuing shepherd. Now, between verses 8 and 9, the long centuries of this present age of grace come and go. You know, sometimes the Bible makes vast leaps like that. The prophets didn't see everything that happened in between. They just saw this and this and put them together. And between verses 8 and 9, there's over 2,000 years of time that passed. And during this time, the Lord, by His Spirit, has been busy here on earth, calling out a people for His name, gathering a bride from every kindred and tribe and people and tongue. Now it has become a multitude that no man can number, a glorious church that's been to heaven born and is heaven bound. The time has come. The Lord steps off his throne. The trumpet sounds and he sweeps across the stars into the eastern sky. And I don't know if he'll use these words, but I think he might. He might say as Solomon said, Arise, my fair one, and come away with me. Instantly the graves are emptied of believing dead. Released from the shackles of the grave, they leap boldly to the clouds. Joined there by multitudes of believing saints, not a single believer will be left behind. Caught away by the Lord himself, they sweep beyond the stars and the planets. And at last, this enormous multitude led by the king himself arrives at the gate of heaven. Again, the mighty shout goes forth in verse number nine. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Once again, the ceremonial response, who is this king of glory? This time the Lord sweeps his arm as he embraces all of us and those who have believed throughout the centuries. And he simply says, the Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. We, as the gates swing open, shall receive the same triumphal entry into heaven that he himself once had. Oh, it foreshadowed a resurrected Savior. It foresaw a rescuing shepherd. But really, in its true context, if we want to make the direct application, 
this Sunday psalm actually foretold of a returning sovereign. You see, after the rapture of the church for seven long years, the prophecies of Revelation will begin to unfold. The world will be ruined by man. The world will be ruled by Satan. Oh, but when the time is right, the world will be rescued by God himself. He, John, John describes it. If we were to turn over to the book of Revelation, we read the words of John in Revelation chapter 19. John says, and I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of kings and Lord of lords. He destroys the armies of the Antichrist at the battle of Armageddon. The beast and the false prophet are put to death. Satan himself is bound and incarcerated in the bottomless pit. And Christ will reveal himself to the nation of Israel, who up to this point have rejected his claim as Messiah. Oh, but now they see him like they've never seen him before. And now, repentant, they receive and welcome him. They are restored. And he begins to make his march up to Jerusalem. Oh, the last time he came, he came meek and lowly, riding on a colt, the foal of an ass. Oh, but this time things are different. He's not coming riding on a little colt, but he comes riding on a white stallion. He's not coming meek and lowly, but he's coming with many crowns upon his head. He comes from the battlefield of Armageddon. And uh, these Jews join in this triumphant procession up to the hill of the Lord. And as he arrives at that city to take up the mantle of secular power, the gates are barred and bolted against the enemy. But the herald cries out, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. The call comes back from inside, who is this King of glory? And there with his garments bloodstained, with the victory that he has just won at Armageddon, he cries out, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And the gate swings open wide and he steps once more into Jerusalem, the holy city. But he doesn't stop there. He continues on up to the temple mount and to the gate of that sacred place, the holy place as our text calls it. And as he approaches once more, the cry goes out from the herald, lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. The king of glory shall come in. Once again, from inside the temple precincts comes the question, 
who is this King of glory? The answer returns, the Lord of hosts. You know, that's the very title of the one that Isaiah saw. Remember in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah said, The year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. And Isaiah said in verse number 6, he said, Woe is me, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The rightful title of the one to sit on the throne in the temple is the Lord of hosts. And the answer comes back, the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. I can hear the chariots rumble. I can see the marching throng as the flurry of God's trumpet spells the end of sin and wrong. Regal robes are now unfolded. Heaven's band stands all in place. Heaven's choir is now assembled and starts to sing amazing grace. The King is coming. Oh, the king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding, and now his face I see. The king is coming. The king is coming. Praise God. He's coming for me. Is he your king tonight? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we stand to our feet. Oh, let me ask you the question. It may look dark down to here, but the uplook is bright. Oh, could I just say to you tonight, the king is coming. When he comes, he's looking for those that have clean hands, a pure heart, those who have not lifted up their soul to vanity nor sworn deceitfully. Have you acquired his righteousness? For your own righteousness will not avail at his coming. If you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want to invite you to come in the invitation. We'll have someone take the Word of God and show you how you can have Christ's righteousness imputed unto your life and your account. Oh, but I wonder, dear Christian friend, are you struggling in these days? Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe a dear one has slipped away and your heart is broken. Oh, could I just say any day now the trumpet may sound and you'll be reunited once again. You, you may say, preacher, it looks like everything is falling apart. No, everything's just falling into place for the king to come and take up his mantle and set up his kingdom. Are you ready if he comes again? We should be stirred and motivated by realizing that the king is on his way to serve him with every fiber of our being while we have time. So when he comes, we'll hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.